Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Tonight I get to introduce Henny. Um, Henny, if you can just join me in front so that people can see your face while I... Uh, think up a CV for you. So um, <laughs> here's what I know about Henny. Um, Henny is a pastor at Joburg and is also a, the senior theologian for the Shofar movement. What that means is that um, typically the very, very difficult questions that even our pastors have a difficult time with answering, um, they sort of divert to Henny's side. And um, Henny has been gifted with this amazing gift that the Holy Spirit works through him and that God works through him in that um, he's able to interpret the word and the, the Spirit has broken it open to him in such a way that it brings answers and that it brings hope and that it brings truth. And so um, we're going to be recipients of um, that gift working here tonight. Um, Henny is also probably the most humble person I know and... Uh, I think he's got a huge fan base who does not necessarily follow him on Twitter or, you know, shout his name when he walks down the aisle. But um, I can only speak from my wife's side, you know, as someone who loves the truth and is quite black and white. She's a sort of a hidden Henny fan. Sorry, lift or say it now. So, yeah, um, Henny, thank you so much for being here tonight. It's a great privilege for us to have you here. And um, I say a lot about you because I know you're not going to say anything about you. And um, it's always great to introduce someone like you. Thanks for being here. Great. Thanks for embarrassing me, Anu. <laughs> oh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be here. It's really nice to, to come and visit you guys again. And um, last time I was here, I shared a bit about the life of Elijah. Is anyone here? Anyone who actually heard that? So I thought I'll continue on that line and, and, and share a bit more from uh, 1 Kings um, 17. So if you have your Bibles here, you're welcome to open up at 1 Kings 17. And um, I'll read that to us in a moment. Um, one of the themes that runs through the passage that I'm going to read is, is the theme of provision. And we're all dependent. Every single one of us are dependent. In other words, we need things. But we forget that until a drought comes, <laughs> which reminds us how much we need it. Like in the Western Cape, I mean, um, there's a drought now, and then all of a sudden we realize how dependent we are. It reminds us of what was actually true all along. It's not like we weren't dependent, and then all of a sudden when the drought came, we became dependent. We were dependent all along. We just forgot about it. Okay, And it's the same in, in Elijah's time. There was this big drought that Elijah actually announced. We're going to read about that. Um, and, and it reminds us as human beings that we're human, that we're dependent, that we need a source of provision. And Elijah, the whole Elijah story is about who do you turn to for that provision? Israel, in Elijah's time, we're turning to a, another god called Baal who was the god of uh, Tyre and Sidon, of the kingdom of Phoenicia. Um, but Elijah, his name actually means, uh, Elijah comes from El, which means God, and, and Jah, which is the shortened version of Yahweh. Which, it means Yahweh is God. You know what, the God of Israel, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, he is God. And uh, he was saying, no, you must turn to God, Yahweh, 
for your provision. Now, God's provision is a, is a constant theme through this passage we're going to read in a moment. But I want you to notice something about God's provision. It's a bit offensive. And, I'm, and I mean, don't mean it in the way that Werner probably would have mean it, meant it. I mean, he's a, he's a rugby player. So if he talks about offensive, he pro- probably means as opposed to defensive. But, <laughs> but I, what I'm talking about now, when I say God's provision is offensive, I mean it's, um, it's a bit insulting. We get offended at it. Some of you are frowning. What? What? What are you talking about? <laughs> we'll, you'll see now when you, when you, when we, when you look at this passage. God's, God's, um, provision is a bit offensive. And, um, we get, as I read through the passage, I, I just want you to firstly see God's provision, the theme of God's provision, and then see maybe if you can see ways in which it is, uh, offensive. So I'm going to read to you from 1st Kings, just a, Small portion from First Kings 16, from verse 30 to 33, and then First uh, Kings 17, from verse 1 to 16. It says, Ahab, the son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. By the way, I'm reading from the NIV, uh, the New International Version. It says, He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal. Notice the, the, the name Baal within Jezebel's father's name. Uh, because he was, he was not only the king of uh, Sidon, of the kingdom of Phoenicia, he was also the high priest of Baal at that time. Uh, Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. So, so here's a king of Israel, Ahab, and he starts serving Baal, this god of the Sidonians. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. And then chapter 17 begins like this. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I will order the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. And when uh, he went to the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there, The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town... To the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I might have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to make to, to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. 
But first make a small cake of bread for me from uh, what you have from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So from, so there, so there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word the Lord, uh, of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Lord God, we just want to thank you for your word. Thank you that your word reveals you to us. And we, we want to know you, Lord. Thank you that your word shows us the way. Thank you that it's a, a light a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Thank you that we are not left to stumble in darkness, but that the light of your word lights our way. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll come tonight, Lord, and minister your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So, <clears throat> when I say the provision of God is offensive did you see what I was referring to could you see anything offensive about the provision of God I want to highlight three things three ways in which the word, the word of the, the provision of God is offensive firstly it's offensive to us because it runs out secondly it's offensive to Baal because it exposes him and thirdly it's offensive to the proud because it's by grace so let's just look at that for a moment um God, I mean, <laughs> this, this story starts out with Elijah, you know, coming to Ahab, a little prophet out of nowhere. We don't know his father or his mother is. We, do, we know he comes from Tishbe. We don't even know where that is. <laughs> He's like a nowhere guy, you know. Comes out of nowhere, comes to Ahab, the king of Israel, and he says, won't rain these next couple of years except at my word. And then he drops his mic. <laughs> and... God tells him, go and hide in the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan. Now, it was outside of the promised land, outside of Israel, on the other side of the Jordan. And he says, I'll provide for you there. And God provides for him in an amazing way. In, 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 ironically, in the same way that God provided for Israel while they were still in the desert, also on the east of the Jordan. What did God give them? Manna, which is bread. Quail, which is meat. And water from a rock. And that's exactly what... Elijah got. He got bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat. Where the Israelites only got it once a day, he got it twice a day, like a double portion. And he had the brook to drink from. But, but here's why it's offensive. I mean, God, God's provision, it's supernatural provision, right? I mean, there's no arguing about that. It's supernatural provision. But it comes through very natural means. Through a brook and through ravens. And, and sometimes that causes us to stumble because we want God's provision, His supernatural provision, to not come in natural means, but to spectacular, supernatural means. Oh, that's too ordinary, you know. Ravens and a, and a brook, you know, that's too ordinary for us. But not only that, I mean, a raven's not the cleanest animal in the world, you know. And sometimes we stumble over the fact that God provides for us in ways that's not quite to our taste, you know. 
God, uh, do you have to use a raven to bring me the bread and the meat? I don't know where that thing's beak has been. <laughs> you know? And this water from the brook, you know, has it been tested? Is it actually, you know, healthy and drinkable? You know, it's, I drink distilled water, you know, or, or at least bottled water from a shop. You know, what, what's this with the water from the brook? I don't even know whether it's clean. <laughs> See, God, God's provision sometimes comes to us in ways that we can find offensive. But, but that's not the main thing that I, what, uh, that's, that's offensive about God's provision here. But probably the, the main thing that's offensive about God's provision in this case, with Elijah there in the Kerith Ravine, is that God's provision runs out. It ends. I mean, shouldn't God's provision be sustainable? You know, didn't he, you know, foresee this happening, you know? <laughs> and, and by the way, it's because of the drought that he brought that the brook runs dry. <laughs> okay? Now, we sometimes find that offensive. When you're in the position where you need God's provision and God provides for you and then God's provision runs out, we find that offensive. We find that offensive. But there there are reasons why God does that. The first reason is God's provision is always linked to a certain season in our lives. Or God's specific provision in a specific way is, is, is you know for a specific season. And, you know, this first season for Elijah was a defensive season. And now, you know, and now he's going, now it's going to go over into an offensive season. Now, now I mean defensive and offensive in the other sense of the word, okay? Um, it's a, it was a defensive season where God said to Elijah, hide in the Kerith ravine. Your life is in danger. I want you to hide. I just want to preserve your life. It's a defensive season. But now I'm, taking you into a new season where it's an offensive season where I'm going to go on the attack against Baal. And a couple of months ago I spoke to a couple, a married couple, and they were telling me that they, they're sensing that God is taking them into a new season. And they were telling me how there were just a lot of things going wrong in their life. You know, difficulties, things just not happening the way that they were supposed to happen, um, and not happening the way they had always been happening before. You know, everything had gone smooth. You know, God had always provided, and now all of a sudden things were going wrong, and they couldn't understand it. And I and I had to say to them, "Listen, if God is moving you from one season to a new season, from an old season to a new season, you cannot expect the old season's provision to continue in the new season." In fact, in order to get you to transition from the old season to the new season, God often has to cause the provision for the old season to dry up. To force you into the new season. Because sometimes it's more comfortable to hide in the Kerith Ravine than to go to Zarephath. Which, by the way, is uh, Baal's hometown and Jezebel's hometown. And sometimes God has to cause our provision to dry up in order to force us into the new season that he has for us. Now that's, that's one reason. And a second reason, probably more important than the first one, is um, so often we as fallen human beings, and, and we all do this, we're tempted to seek God's provision instead of seeking God. We're tempted to focus on the gift rather than the giver. We're tempted to seek God's hand instead of seeking God's face. 
Seeking what he can do for us rather than who he can be for us. In other words, we have this nasty habit of, as human beings, as fallen human beings, to idolize the good gifts that God, give us, that God gives us. We idolize them. We make idols out of them. And we make them more important to us than God himself is. And in order to combat that, God often has to allow his provision, which is good and perfect, to run out so that we won't become dependent on his provision, but so that we'll remain dependent on him. You see, if you only see God's provision, then sometimes you'll find it, but you might not get God. But if you see God, if you find God, you'll find both him and his provision. Always. And, and God wants us to look towards Him, to love Him, to de- be dependent on Him. And, and sometimes He takes His provision away so that we will realize we are not so much dependent on God's provision as we are dependent on God because God is the source of that provision. I think it was Corrie Tim Boom who once said, you'll never know that God is all you need until God is all you have. And sometimes God forces us into a situation where all we have is Him. Because then we realize that all we need and all that we needed all along was Him. See, God has to wean us off dependence on His provision. And then all of, every now and then that means He has to cause His provision to dry up so that we won't idolize it. And then notice what it says. It says says to, to, to Elijah, go at once to Zarephath. I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. And then he gets there and meets the widow coincidentally at the, at the town gate. And she does provide for him. And, and there's an important principle here that we mustn't miss. And that principle is this. God's provision follows God's word. God's provision always follows God's word. So he first gives a word and says, go to Zarephath. And then he goes there and he finds the provision that God had promised right there. God's provision follows God's word. So we mustn't follow God's provision. We must follow God and his word. And in fact, other portions of scripture like Psalm 23 tell us that if we follow God and his word, then the provision will follow us. I mean, David says, he starts off that psalm, that probably the most famous of all the psalms. He starts it off by saying, the Lord, Yahweh, the same God of Israel, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then at the end, towards the end of the psalm, he says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I won't follow goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy will follow me. Why? Because I follow God. I follow him. I follow his word. And wherever he goes, wherever his word leads me, Wherever he leads me, there his provision follows. God's provision follows God's word. And therefore we must follow God's word and not his provision. You see, so often we can get into um, into the bad habit of following even the good things. Because God gives us good things. God's provision is good. But seeking after the good things that God gives us. For instance, let me give you um, one example. You know, it's, it's, it's great... When God provides miracles for us. But it becomes a problem if we start following the miracles rather than following God. It's really a problem. And that doesn't make miracles bad. It just means that our focus 
can become wrong and we can start idolizing the miracles. And there are many Christians who do that. Well-meaning Christians. Who follow the miracles rather than following God. And they get led astray. Church history is littered with people who have followed miracles and gone astray. Littered. Literally. Literally. <laughs> that was a bit of a tongue twister. <laughs> so, do you want God's provision more than you want God? If you do, God will make sure it offends you. God will make sure he provides in such a way that it offends you. <laughs> but for your benefit, of course. It's out of his love that he sometimes offends us with his provision. Okay, so but the, God's provision doesn't only offend us, it also offends Baal. And this is easier for us to understand and accept, uh, but not always easier for us to see in the, <clears throat> in the text. Um, we, we read that first verse in, in 1 Kings 17. Now Elijah, the, uh, the Tishbite from Tishbi in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, and by implication, whom you do not serve, uh, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. We read that and we don't always get the full impact of it. So I just want to give you some historical background just to help you um, understand fully uh, what's going on here um, in this commentary. It gives a little bit of history and um, I, I might have read this last time I was here as well, but let me just read it again. It says, Ugarit was a city north of Tyre. Now Tyre and Sidon were right next to each other. They were main cities of the kingdom of Phoenicia. So Ugarit was right there north of, of Tyre uh, on the Mediterranean coast uh, that flourished, uh, uh, Ugarit flourished between 1400 and 1200 before Christ. In the text discovered there, Baal is depicted as a nature deity whose primary function is and powers in the pantheon, the, the Canaanite or, or Phoenician pantheon and mythology, encompassed weather and fertility. Baal was the storm deity. He was called the rider of the clouds. He was often portrayed with a lightning bolt in one hand and thunder was identified as his voice. Ancient Syro-Palestine was an agrarian society, in other words, farming community. And because Baal gave the rains, he was worshipped as uh, worshipped to ensure the fertility of the land and the production of crops. Since all of life was tied to the fertility of the land, it is not hard to see why it was so tempting to Israel to worship Baal. Um, and, you know, we, we are not as dependent on the land because we're not an agrarian society. You know, most of us probably are not farmers. Okay, we might have some farmers, but most of us probably are not farmers. So we're not as dependent on that. We don't do subsistence farming like in many other places in the world and like they did in the days of Elijah in Israel. So we're not as dependent on the land as they were. Not as directly dependent. I mean, we're still as dependent, but we're not as directly dependent. I mean, we go and buy our stuff in a mall, you know. Many of us think milk comes from a bottle, you know. Many kids nowadays, they like, you know, when you tell them milk comes from a cow, they're like, what? Not my milk. My milk comes from a bottle, thank you very much. <laughs> I can show you. <laughs> but, but even for us, I mean, when there's a drought like in the Western Cape, we start to realize how dependent we are on the land, you know, when, when it starts to get really severe and the pinch comes. But even more so in those days, with people who were directly dependent on the land. If, if there wasn't any produce in the land, you and your family just didn't eat. 
It's as simple as that in those days. You know, there were, there were, for most people, there weren't any reserves. So you can see, you know, we, we can't always understand why it was so tempting for them to worship Baal. But we can see when we think about what kind of society they are and what kind of powers Baal claimed to have, you know, claimed to be the storm god, you know, who brought the rains and made the land fertile. And you can see why it was tempting for them to, to worship Baal. So, in other words, when Elijah came and said, it will neither dew nor rain in these next few years except at my word, and then did his mic drop, God was at the same time dropping the gauntlet in no uncertain terms to Baal. He was saying to Baal, I'm going to take you on in your area of expertise. You claim to be the rain god. You claim to be the storm god. You claim to bring, bring the showers that make the land fertile. Well, let's see about that. I'm going to take you on. And I'm, I'm going to, I tell you, it's not going to rain except at my word, the word of Yahweh in the next couple of years. And then we see uh, in, in verse 17, it said, um, sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. In other words, when God, the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, Yahweh said there was not going to be any rain, Baal, the storm god, the rider of the clouds, was powerless to give rain. And it happened exactly like Yahweh said. There was no rain. And even in, in verse 12, he says, Elijah says, the, the flour and the oil won't run out until the Lord, Yahweh, sends rain on the land. And we know how, how this thing, all thing ends. It ends, it climaxes on Mount Carmel, you know, with this firefight on Mount Carmel. And then God does send rain. Yahweh does uh, send the rain. But the point here is, God's provision is offensive to Baal because it exposes Baal as a pretender. He's a pretender. He cannot give rain. He cannot even give what he claims to be able to give. In fact, you can go so far as to say, that's true for all idols. Whatever they claim to give, only Yahweh, the God of the Bible, can actually give. What they claim to be, God is saying, I am. What they claim to be, I am. What they claim to be able to give, I can give. They cannot give it. Um, so I, to make this worse, you know, to add sort of insult, you know, to serious injury, Sidon was um, Baal's hometown. That's his backyard. I mean, it says in what we read in, in, in chapter 16, um, he, uh, uh, Ahab married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians. That's where Baal came from. That's his hometown. That's his backyard. So God has the audacity to send Elijah right into Baal's backyard during a drought that Yahweh announced and that Baal cannot break. And then to within that drought to provide for a widow, a Sidonian widow. Zarephath was right next to Sidon. Very close to Sidon. Right there in Baal's backyard, he provides for Elijah and his widow. That's a massive slap in Baal's face. Boom. <laughs> it's offensive. God's provision is offensive to Baal because it exposes him as a pretender. It exposes him as a pretender. Can you see how God is going from the defensive onto the offensive? But not only that, it gets worse than that. I mean, it's, it's like God was saying you know, to, to Israel, why are you worshipping this idol? He cannot provide, even in his own hometown, even in his area of expertise, he can't provide. 
In fact, he never could. If you're going to read the rest of Scripture and, and follow the history of that time, Phoenicia was constantly importing grain and stuff from Israel. They were, they were like a coastal kingdom, you know, on the, on the coast of the Mediterranean. And they were great at building ships and trading and stuff. And, and I suppose that's why Ahab, uh, Ahab's dad organized for him to marry Jezebel is because he wanted a bit of that trade and, and that, because it was quite lucrative and so on. But they never had enough grain in Phoenicia. They had lots of stuff, trade and goods and all that kind of stuff. They had lots of, but they never had enough grain. They were constantly having to import grain from Israel and from other countries, Egypt and so on. So God is saying to them, not only can Baal not provide now, he never could. So why on earth are you worshipping him? Why are you even tempted to worship him? He's a pretender. He's a loser. He's not a real God. He's not a living God. He's a dead God. What Baal claims to be, God is saying, I am. And, and he was giving, he was giving, um, that message not only to Israel in the time of Elijah, but he was also giving it to Israel, to whom the book of Kings obviously was written a couple of years later, to, you know, after this had happened. Um, the last king in Second Kings, and First and Second Kings, actually one book, was in, in Babylonian captivity in Babylon. That's where the, the book ends. So it was written after that, obviously. So it was written to Israelites under Babylonian captivity. And, and they had this idea that God's only had power and strength in certain areas. Let me, let me read you one example. In 1 Kings 20, verse 23, it says, Meanwhile, the officials of the king of Aram advised him, Their gods, the Israelites' gods, are gods of the hills. Now, they were a polytheistic you know, society, so they couldn't fathom something like monotheism you know it was foreign to them so so they thought israel had gods you know so they're sort of projecting their experience onto israel um gods of the hills that is why they are too strong for they were too strong for us but if we fight them in the plains surely we will be stronger than them and then in verse 28 god says <clears throat> it says the man of god came up to the and told the king of israel this is what the lord says because the Aramean, Arameans think the Lord is a God of the hills and not a God of the valleys, I will deliver this vast army into your hands and you will know that I am the Lord. I am Yahweh, the one who is. Not who is the God of the hills, but who is the God of everything. But they had this idea, it was a very common idea that, you know, Baal was the God in Phoenicia and he was strong in Phoenicia and Yahweh was the God in Israel and you know, who uh, Amon-Ra was the god in Egypt. And if one kingdom conquered another kingdom, it was because not only because that kingdom was stronger than the other kingdom, that nation was stronger than the other nation, but because the gods of that nation were stronger than the other nation. So you can imagine what was being said to the Israelites under Babylonian captivity. Not only are we stronger than you, but our gods are stronger than your god. It was exactly the same situation as with Baal and Yahweh. Just with God of Babylon and Yahweh. And God was saying to them, I am not a God of the hills or of the valleys. I'm not only a God in Israel. I'm not only powerful in Israel. I'm also powerful in Sidon. And by the way, I'm also powerful in Babylon. So God was saying, whatever um, 
the other gods, the false gods, claim to be I am. <clears throat> and maybe you can just turn to your neighbor and say, God is making war on the gods in your life. God is making war on the gods in your life. You see, God will always provide in a way that challenges our idols. And by the way, if you think you don't have any idols or you never have any idols, you probably don't know your own heart very well. I think it was John Calvin, the reformer, who said, the heart of man is a factory of idols. Anything you trust in for your provision other than God is an idol. Whether it's your job, whether it's your bank account, whether it's your parents, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your country, your government, whatever it is. If you trust in anything for your provision, ultimately, more than God, that thing is an idol. If you trust for, in anything for your salvation, for your identity, more than God, that thing is an idol. If there's anything that you say, if this is taken away from me, then life won't be living anymore. That thing is truly your God. And God provides in a way that makes war on the gods in our lives. That exposes them as frauds and pretenders. And that makes us ultimately see that He is the ultimate source. So God will provide in a way that is designed to destroy our trust in and dependence on other sources. <clears throat> that are in competition with Him. But not only does God's provision is, is it offensive to us because it runs out. And it's offensive to Baal because it exposes him. But it's also offensive to the proud because it is by grace. God's provision. Let's just see it in, 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 this, in this situation. God says to, to Elijah, go to Zarephath. To, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. And we see that this widow that God provides through is an outsider. God loves providing by grace. He always provides by grace. So He often provides through outsiders in ways that we find offensive. And, and, and we might not find it offensive that God provided through that widow. <clears throat> but that's because we don't understand what was going on there. Even a couple of hundred years later, when Jesus talks about it in Luke 4, He says there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, and yet God sent him to a widow in Zarephath. Of Sidon. And what did they want to do to him when, when he said that? Anyone know? They dragged him out of the synagogue, out of the town, and wanted him to throw him down a cliff to kill him. That's how offensive it was to him. So if we don't understand why it's offensive, <clears throat> or that it's offensive, <coughs> then it's because we don't know the situation. God provides in a way that's, that's offensive to the proud because it's by grace. Now, first thing I want you to see about God's grace is this. <clears throat> Elijah comes to this, this widow, says, go and get me some water, and then he shouts after, you know, and bring me some bread as one. She says, listen, I don't have any bread. <clears throat> I have a handful of flour and some oil, getting some sticks, I'm going to bake some bread, just a little bit for me and my, enough for one meal for me and my, my son, my little boy. We're going to eat it and die. So there was enough flour and oil for one meal for her and her son, and that was it. 
<coughs> and then Elijah says, but go, do what you said. Don't be afraid. Do, go do what you said. But first bring some bread to me and then make some for your, yourself and your son. And then it says, in, um, let me just read that. I think it's in verse 13. Sorry, verse 15. And she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. So the resources that were, was enough to feed two people one meal for one day turned out to be enough to feed three people for many days. Probably months and years, even years. It was about at least a couple of years that he stayed there. And here's the principle that I want you to see. This is very powerful. <clears throat> God said to Elijah, Go to Zarephath, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. It's interesting, the widow doesn't know about God. <laughs> That's God's command. But and gets there, the widow has enough for one meal, but God uses her and through her provides for Elijah, but also for her. Here's the principle. God's provision through you is usually God's provision to you. God's provision through you is usually God's provision to you. And that's a powerful principle. That's an amazing principle. Because that's how God's grace works. I, I, can, I can testify of that as a pastor. One of the main reasons I'm a pastor is because I need to be a pastor. I need to spend more time in the Word than, than you guys. <laughs> so maybe you're blessed by it, but I'm blessed by it. <laughs> My God's provision through me to you of his word is also God's provision to me of his word. And it blesses me. Uh, we recently bought a house after about three years in Joburg, um, which we really couldn't afford. We've been praying for more than two years about it because we didn't have a deposit. You know, if you want to buy a house, you know, inside like the N1, M1 circle, you know, and so you, don't, you miss most of the traffic. It's quite expensive, you know. It's a little bit above what we can afford, to be honest. And so we've been praying about it for about two years and, and, and finally God miraculously provided um, for us and, and we're very grateful to Him for that. But the house that we bought, we got it, we put in a relatively low offer for the area uh, and it was accepted because it was like a serious fixer-upper. You know, you could walk up to the gutters and literally poke your finger through the gutters. That's how bad it was rusted. So it, added, it needed a lot of work. And I'm not like the greatest handyman in the world. So I wouldn't have been able to fix that house by myself. <clears throat> I didn't have the time. And I didn't know, I, I mean, I, the plumbers and the, you know, if I'd subcontracted guys, they would have stolen me blind because I, I wouldn't have known, I don't, I don't know the, the industry, you know, and I don't know reliable people in the industry. So our elders, um, Trevor and, and, and Sharon Gething, they also do our, our kiddies church. Maybe they've actually been here. I don't know, haven't they? Okay. But they, <clears throat> they do our kiddies church as well. And they are elders. They, Trevor has like a construction company, Trevor's Contractors. And, um, you know, he, he, he sort of walked through the house with, with my brother and I to sort of give us uh, a quote of what it would cost to fix the house, you know. What, sort of an estimate, guesstimate more. And um, so I, I said to him, listen, if, if, if you want to help us, you know, if you're willing to help us, you know, you can, you can do this. And he said, yeah, sure. He actually, you know, he doesn't have any work. There's, there's like nothing. Like the, <laughs> the business is dead. There's nothing. He needs work now. So, cause I, cause I said to him, listen, I don't want to force work on you. 
that you can actually do without, you know, and now you feel obliged because I'm your pastor, you know, now you have to come and help your pastor. He said, no, 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 seriously, I need this work, you know, I want it. So he actually agreed to be our, you know, to do the project management for us, for basically for free. He said, you know, whatever, whatever, while we're working on the site, you know, I'll, I'll basically project manage all the other stuff for free as well. So it's a big blessing to us, you know, and helped us sort of fix the house in a way that we couldn't do ourselves. But God's provision through Trevor to me to help fix my house was also God's provision to Trevor because he needed the business. And, and, and that, that, you can apply that principle to any form of business. You know, the world says, no, look out for number one. Look out for yourself, you know. <clears throat> Cut costs and, and maximize profits. <clears throat> Rather, you know, underserve and overcharge people. That's what the world says. But this principle tells us, no. If God's provision through you is also God's provision to you, then go out and serve and be God's provision to other people because by that, God will also be providing for you. The better you serve other people in business, the better your business is going to do, according to God's economy and according to God's way of doing things. I mean, also, know just spiritually. I mean, just think about it. You know, we, uh, you know, I was talking about missions, you know, and uh, going on missions trips and stuff. Now, anyone who's been on a mission trip, you know, you go out there to Zimbabwe or Malawi or Bhutan or wherever it is, and you give. Often you give to people who don't know that. Just like this widow, you know. She says, the Lord your God. Not the Lord my God or the Lord our God. Uh, she says, the Lord your God. And, and yet you come back from that mission. And what do you say? I received more than I gave. It was such a blessing to me. And people come with that testimony all the time. Why? Because God's provision through you is God's provision to you. <clears throat> you want God to provide for you spiritually? Then start serving in this church. Start serving the people in this church and see how God's provision through you becomes God's provision to you. You're feeling spiritually dry? Serve. Serve other people. See what God does in your life. <clears throat> so, um, that was this widow. How much time do I have left? I, wasn't been, I haven't been checking my watch. <laughs> Let's see what the time is. Okay. <clears throat> I want to try and, and, and finish in a, in a reasonable time. <clears throat> so, faith gives to God first before taking care of itself. And, and, and God will often, in order to give us the opportunity to, to test Him and to exercise faith in Him, He'll often command us to by faith give what we cannot afford to Him first. I mean, just think about this. this Elijah asked this woman, listen, the, the last little bit of flour and oil that you have, use that to bake a piece of bread for me first. That went completely against the maternal instinct. I mean, what, which mother in the world will do this? You know, this man of God coming out of nowhere and saying, you know, forget about your six years, five, six-year-old boy, you know, give, feed me first. But the, the, the principle there is whatever you give to God first will benefit you, will always benefit you more than what you give to yourself first. And when you by faith give to God what you cannot afford, God will make that which is left over to be enough for you. I mean, here a meal that would have been enough, flour and oil that would have been enough to feed just the two of them for one meal 
because they, she gave by faith to God first, it ended up being enough to feed all of them for years, for a long time. Okay, so God's provision is um, offensive to the proud because it's by grace. It's, and we see also that it's by grace because it's through outsiders. This, this woman was a, firstly, she was a Gentile. Now she was an ethnic outsider. And, and like I said, in Jesus' time, they were so horribly offended by that, that she was this Sidonian, this Gentile, you know, and God, we, we Israel are God's people. You know, if God's going to work, he may only work through us. No, if God works by grace, he can work through anyone. And God loves, because he works by grace, he loves working through people who don't qualify. Like this gentle woman. But she wasn't only a gentile, you know, an ethnic outsider. She was a woman. Okay? And, and we don't appreciate it in our modern enlightened society where both men and women can work. Women couldn't work in those days except to maybe be a prostitute. You know, so you worked, either worked at home or if you needed money, if you worked for money, then it was usually sex work. You know, you were a prostitute. That was it, you know. And <laughs> we know even in our enlightened times, you know, us men, we have a bit of an ego, you know. So um, we think that um, women can receive provision from us, but not uh, the other way around. Sometimes we think that. We're tempted to think that. It's difficult sometimes for us. But yeah, God comes and he provides to this woman. But she wasn't only a woman, she was a widow. So in those days, a woman, because she couldn't work, you needed, either, you needed a man in your life. So you didn't need a father. And then you moved from your father's house to your husband's house. Your husband took care of you. And if your husband died, you hopefully had an eldest son who was old enough to take care of you. Now her son, I mean, in the next sort of part of the story, he dies and she carries him to Elijah. So he was a little boy. He wasn't old enough to work yet. So she had no one. She was a widow. She was destitute. She was socioeconomically marginalized and an outsider. But not only that, I mean, it gets worse. She's spiritually an outsider. I mean, when her son dies, she says to Elijah, have you brought my sin to remembrance? Have you reminded God of my sin? Is that why my son has died? And well, she doesn't deny being a sinner. She's a spiritual outsider. She's a sinner. And here comes God through the Gentile woman widow sinner, complete outsider, completely unworthy, and he uses her to provide for Elijah. Why? Because God's provision is by grace, and that's what we need to receive from this. God's provision is not only through outsiders, through the undeserving, but God's provision is always also to outsiders and to the undeserving. You see, proud people feel entitled to provision. And get very angry when it doesn't come. And proud people say, I don't take any free lunches. I don't take any handouts. Right? That's proud. Pride that says that. And, and, and we often think we're humble until we're in a position where we have to receive a handout. Then it, then it really reveals our heart. I remember once in, in Somerset West, there was a, a, a strike uh, on, and, and the guys, these Petrol jock, the guys pumping the petrol, you know, they were, they were on strike. And so I, I stopped in Main Road at a, at a petrol station 
And the owner was there because none of his staff was there. So the owner was there and he was like, you know, putting in petrol for the guys. And when he filled up my tank, you know, I did what I, what I always do with everyone who puts in petrol for me. And I offered him a tip. And he got so offended. He said, keep your money, you know. Like, he was really offended. He was like deeply offended that I would give him a tip. And, and here's the thing. If you'd asked that guy, are you proud? Are you arrogant? He said, no. No, I'm very humble. I'm a humble person. But he couldn't receive the very tip that his workers receive every day. Because really in his heart he thought he was better than them. You see, and that's why God provides through outsiders and to outsiders. You see, Jesus is the ultimate outsider. God provides through outsiders and to outsiders. Why? Because he wants to, through his provision, offend our pride. Because our pride cannot makes it impossible for us to receive from him. Impossible. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Because only the humble can receive grace. So, the challenge I, I want to close with is this. Can you receive God's provision in the form of grace? Can you prove Receive God's provision when you do not deserve it. Can you receive God's forgiveness when you cannot earn it? Can you? Most of us struggle with that. One of the, one of the, I can't remember what the guy's name was, a, a well-known theologian said, when you come to God, all you need is need. All you need is nothing. And the problem that most of us had is that we don't have nothing. Our hands are so full of what we we want to do and what we want to provide to earn our salvation that we don't have the nothing required to receive salvation. Can you come to God as a beggar? Can you come to God as an outsider? Can you come to God as someone who is as destitute as this widow? And can you receive from Jesus, the ultimate outsider, the ultimate outcast? Can you receive the salvation that God provides? Or does it offend your pride? You see, so, so often, when we receive from God, we want it to be on our terms. That God will provide for us in a way that offends us. Sometimes it runs out. That offends our idols and our false gods so that we can stop being dependent on them. And that offends our pride so that we can be stripped of it and be humbled before Him. And maybe tonight there are some of you sitting here and you're realizing that you've been putting off receiving God's salvation because you found it offensive. That you had to stand like a beggar with your hat in your hand. And receive something from God that you, could, that you didn't deserve. That you could not earn. That you could do nothing from your side to justify. You had to receive it as a free grace gift. And you've been putting it off. Because of pride. And maybe tonight God is working in your heart. Working at that pride. Loosening it. Breaking it. Humbling you 
enabling you to humble yourself so that you come and receive from Him what you so desperately need from Him. Let's stand. I just want you to close your eyes. And I want you to just pray two things. The first thing I want you to pray is if there's any idol, any false god, whether it's a, a job, whether it's money, whether it's fame, whether it's a spouse, you know, whether, whether it's you know, what you want for your children because they're so dear to you. In other words, not just bad things, but good things that you've made ultimate things. If there's any such an idol that God has highlighted in your life, I just want you to bring it to God right now. Just close your eyes in your own words. Just bring it to God and say, God, thank you for making war against my idols. Thank you for providing in a way that attacks and destroys my idols. Lord, I repent of that idol. Just in your own words. Maybe that idol was God's provision to you. Maybe that was your idol that you need to repent of. Or maybe, and this is the second thing, maybe that idol is yourself. Maybe God has been showing you that yes, even though you didn't realize it, there, there was, there is some pride in your heart that you need to repent of. And pride is when you make yourself your idol. And if that is there, then I just want you to bring that to the Lord. Just be very honest with Him. Don't worry, you're not going to shock him. He's not going to go, oh, my goodness, how could you? You know, he already knows it. God knows your heart better than you do. And he still loves you. Even though he knows exactly what's going on in your heart. And you know that if the people next to you and the people in your family knew exactly what was really going on in your heart, they would look at you differently. They might not even love you. But you know, God knows exactly what's going on in your heart. He still loves you. So if it's there, just bring it to Him and just say, Lord, forgive me for my pride. I humble myself before You. I need You. I need Your grace.